You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Foundation Radio is brought to you by The Dugout. The Dugout provides custom quality apparel at an affordable price. Modern style mixed with classic designs, you'll find retro t-shirts brought into the 21st century. Adam has several of his favorite t-shirts in rotation from the team at The Dugout, including customized Dudley Boys, Prince and the Revolution, and the Notorious B.I.G. t-shirts. Right now, if you purchase your items through their Etsy site and use promo code FOUNDATION, you'll receive 15% off your entire order. That's right, 15% off your entire order. Follow them on Instagram at the dugout brand follow the link on their etsy shop and use your promo code foundation for 15 percent off your entire order the dugout custom quality apparel at an affordable price if you haven't heard about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast let me explain it's free there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on spotify apple podcasts and many more you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place download the free anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full-service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and the fiend Bray Wyatt frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all cuts and trims are by appointment only so head over to their website at 10th ward barbershop.com and book your appointment now with kane jordan and the rest of the team at 10th ward barbershop that's 10thward barbershop.com and we thank them for supporting the podcast all right i'm gonna get started <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> Ask him about the fucking kettle from hell. No, no, I will not. No, 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 no I'm not going to do that. <laughs> not happening, bro. <laughs> Why it has to come with that guttural sound? I don't know. <laughs> uh. I'm not sure. Say. <laughs> man, man in his mid thirties, incapable of creating just, more of a, a greeting. He just grunts. <laughs> Eventually, we will start this episode. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And welcome everybody to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Barnard. Thank you so much for joining us again on whatever day we decide to air this. I am here with the executive voice and executive producer of Foundation Radio, Mr. Sam Krebs. How are you, sir? This will air on Threves Day. <laughs> whatever day we decide. Yes. How are you? But well, I'm doing fine. 
I feel like I haven't seen you in so long. It's been a while already since we've swaburped, even yeah. though uh, it doesn't necessarily seem that way. But I'm like looking at at past notes and looking at uh, at, at the Kreps rating scale, the KRSTM, if you will, and uh, <laughs> it's it's been a minute. Yeah. It's been a minute since we've threeved out on uh, Foundation Radio here with the Swaburp. Uh, we are here for another uh, scrumtralescent episode of Sam Watches Bad Wrestling Poorly. We're using all the celebrity Jeopardy. We're, losing, we're using it all. Yep, we started with the grunts, and now we're going there. Yeah. <laughs> tonight we're going to watch WCW Nitro. <laughs> Oh, uh, ask him about the kettle from hell. Uh. <laughs> oh my God, it's so good. We are going to watch WCW Monday Nitro episode uh, from January 4th, 1999. And it is incredibly famous and notorious for the finger poke of doom, which is uh, what most fans consider to be the beginning of the creative end for wcw are you at all in any way familiar with the finger poke of doom not other than the discussions that we've had leading to what is apparently a less than uh less than standout moment in the years that were monday nitro so this is really in like the heat of the monday night wars so it's important to know that, like, at this time, which we've talked about a little bit before, the Monday Night and Wars. And I've familiarized myself just enough with Monday Night Wars to know what was going down. Right. You have the NWO. You have Stone Cold Steve Austin. You have The Rock. You have these all of these talents that are competing. Eric Bischoff telling everybody what happened on Raw so that they watch Nitro since Nitro was actually live. Correct, because Raw used to be taped. And Eric Bischoff would give away the endings of the WWF programming, which is, in hindsight, totally fucked up. But in the middle of the war, it's like, uh, I can see why. Brilliant! It's It's brilliant. Yeah, it really is. I love it. It really is. Sam, what are you drinking there? I'm drinking uh, straight out of Meadville, PA. Shout out to the the Erie Lake region. Voodoo Brewing Company. It is a Styx American, gold, gold American lager called... Oh, Mama Renegade. <laughs> <laughs> that can't look sick, though. Yeah, it's a cool can. It caught my eye because it had sticks on it. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm like a big sticks fan or anything, but uh, I saw it and I was like, Oh, Mama, I've been fearing for my life from the long, long arm of this long. beer. <laughs> you should be drinking Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> that voice sounds oh, familiar. Yeah. Would you believe? I've heard him. Would you believe, like, fucking 12 years later that that sound was resurrected and used? I don't want to a... believe that was 12 years ago already. <laughs> used on a popular professional wrestling podcast? Like, we did this. <laughs> so, blue ribbon. We did this as I'm a be honest. throwaway junk thing. <laughs> it's just... I mean, no disrespect to the Mind of the Meanie podcast, but that's actually become a thing. I haven't listened to it. Like, Yes, we actually, we use this often on the show. Yeah, the, the, because... Pepsed Blue Ribbon. We actually made like a whole video for it that we've tweeted several times at Pepsed Blue Ribbon <laughs> to try to get us to get them to sponsor us on the show. Yeah. Like, I knew he was a fan of PBR, right. but the fact that that exists... 
It's so good, dude. I'll have to send you the video. I don't if you haven't seen it yet, I'll send it to you. But yeah, we're trying to get. See, them- I'm not on Twitter, so I, I wouldn't know, but. We're trying to get I'll them have to, to see it. sponsor us because it's like Paps Blue Meanie is just like the easiest thing in the world, you know? Right, yeah. But, yeah, we use that pretty often. But I just, I laugh every time I listen to it because it's like, I can't believe we recorded this in Westchester at the radio station 12 <laughs> years ago, and now this is a thing. Well, and that was like a, that, if, as I recall, that was just like a one-off me sitting there spouting off isms <laughs> in the studio. That yes. might have even been the night that I decided that I had to speak the entire show in nothing but the radio or the the movie trailer <laughs> yes. voice. The generic DJ. Yeah, that was the night. That was the birth of the generic G- DJ clip. Yeah. Something like that. But yeah, no, I, I made in a world where I made myself say everything. <laughs> Like John LaFontaine. <laughs> it gets hard after five minutes. I Yeah, I was impressed that you kept up for as long as it was. I wish I had the generic DJ sound loaded up on the board here. I would play it for a We went to happy state. hour a lot before the radio show. We went to happy hour frequently <laughs> before we were on the radio, and we definitely should have been broadcasting. There should have been an adult in the room, but. It was college radio. We're fine. Who cares? No, every college kid cares that does college radio, but. No yep. one actually, no one gets you penalties like back when we thought you were going to get in trouble. Well, they would freak you out with the FCC stuff. They're like, oh, you can't cuss on the air. And then fucking well, bam. We, cu- we would freak you out yeah. with the FCC stuff. You know what? That's not even funny. Okay. Because I thought I was getting fucking fined and kicked out of school. Bam said right. fuck on the radio twice. But yep. we're here to say fuck a couple of times because... This is terrible, man. This is uh, this is the beginning of the end creatively for WCW. Uh, a little bit of storyline here. Set me up here. Yeah. yeah, so a little bit of storyline here before we actually watch it, because uh, there's going to be context you'll, you'll, you're going to watch in the beginning of the show. So the NWO has now split into two factions. Uh, the original black and white is now called NWO Hollywood, and the red and black is called the NWO Wolfpack. NWO Hollywood okay. is, is run by Hollywood Hogan, and NWO Wolfpack is run by Kevin Nash. Yes, so I'm a, at least cursory level familiar with that stuff too. Right. So there, thanks there's, to Nintendo, there's a blood feud. Uh, they're they're warring with each other, uh, and there's you know there's infighting. So at Starcade 1998, Bill Goldberg's undefeated streak came to an end at the hands of a taser prod, uh, a cattle prod rather, uh, by Scott Hall, which allowed Kevin Nash to pin him for the WCW title. Uh, he was undefeated at the time. Uh, and then they, Goldberg was going to get a match at this Nitro, which was following the uh, this Starcade uh, event. And then he's accused of rape <laughs> by Miss Elizabeth oh. and Ooh. aggravated stalking. I'm sorry. He was originally supposed to be uh, accused of rape, and Gold, Goldberg refused to go along with the storyline. And then he was accused of aggravated stalking uh, by Miss Elizabeth. Can we go back to... There was an event in WCW called Starcade. There was. It's actually it was their flagship event, which is also the name of an old '80s video game, like arcade show, that was on TBS, which is kind of weird. Starcade has was a, a very long history with uh, WCW and the NWA, and now WWE owns the rights to it, and they'll resurrect it from time to time. It's notable for the main event is always typically uh, in a, you know, a big blue cage, like a steel cage, okay. with a big blue cage. And that's typically how they end the show. Yeah. Okay. So they use two R's, Starcade, because Starcade with one R was a Turner produced show 
where people competitively played arcade games on TV. Interesting. And when you said it, I was like, that was like the first thing I thought. I was like, did um, did Goldberg play like Space Invaders or something? <laughs> Donkey Kong. You'd be surprised. Goldberg was a Donkey Kong guy. Now he, uh, this was the the main event. So basically, like it. Well, Eric Bischoff always refers to Halloween Havoc as like their WrestleMania. If you had to like put it up against one another, but. Starcade was probably the one that was the most notable for them uh, okay. in WCW. So they uh, Goldberg's now out of the mix. Um, Hogan shows back up. He's supposedly retired. They've been in a feud for a long time. Hogan's the villain. Nash says to Hogan, "Let's have the title shot. Let's do this." NWO Wolfpack versus NWO Hollywood in the middle of the ring. And then we get to the match, and it just the poking ensues. It's uh, it it very much so is just something you have to watch. It's going to be a very quick match, and there's going to be a like there's going to be a lead up here while as we watch it, and then it's going to get to the match. And also while this is going on, it, earlier in the broadcast, uh, the announcer, his name is Tony Schiavone, which you've heard him a couple of times. I'm familiar, yeah, because as you mentioned, Raw was taped earlier and Nitro was live at the time, he gives away the main event to Monday Night Raw, which is Mick Foley winning the WWF title for the first time over The Rock. And it's a massive fucking, it's just a disaster. Because everybody changes the channel from WCW to WWF. Like, so it, and it finally backfired on him, it basically. It backfired big time. It basically went, like, Thousands of people changed the channel to watch McFoley win the title. And this is the time when creatively the tide really shifted back to WWF. I got it. So, and I, I mean, if I can interpret correctly, what I've learned is that, you know, that's all fun that they made that sort of cr like competitive push, but ultimately the fans were fans of both. Right. When it came down to it. Okay. So uh, right. yeah, that context I, I can, certainly jive with it's a it's a marketing push that is a little bit too in inward thinking assuming that you have your audience un unfettered as far as allegiances go well you have to remember at the time the nwo is the hottest thing in wrestling still mm, oh, even I at have, this time and people i didn't play wwf wwe video games at the time i was playing freaking WCW NWO Revenge for N64 and all those games like that was what I knew as pro wrestling when I was a kid and I didn't really know that much about it and that's that's kind of where it was and I I think I think what you'll get from this is the hubris of WCW thinking that they have this whole thing on lock and then all of a sudden it's you know falls apart but interesting gonna, so Tony Schiavone's actual quote I have it right here he goes fans as Hollywood Hogan walks away and you look at this 40,000 plus on hand. If you're even thinking about changing the channel to our competition fans, do not because we understand that Mick Foley, who wrestled here one time as Cactus Jack, is going to win their world title. Ha! That's going to put some butts in seats. And huh. everyone changed the channel. So, And everyone put their butts in seats they elsewhere. <laughs> they certainly did. So we're going to get up to this. If you're watching us, Watching this, you can go to uh, Peacock. You go to your Peacock app. You're going to pull up. You're going to put in the search bar, WCW Nitro. You're going to go to Season 5, Episode 1, which is January 4th, 1999. 
And Sam and I are going to start at one hour, 53 minutes, and 41 seconds. And we are going to If you play. start at 40, you started too early. And if you started at 42, you started too late. So fucking rewind it and then watch <laughs> it there. But we are going to hit fast forward on this episode, and we'll see you on the flip side after we watch the finger poke of doom. Swaburp. This is the generic DJ. Oh, hey, Adam. Uh. <laughs> welcome back. I couldn't think of a better transition noise than actually find the generic DJ sound since we were talking about it. So welcome back, everybody. We just got done no, watching just, the finger poke doom. We just experienced early 1999 again. Yeah, it was a lot and, of fun. Yeah, I didn't see it was any something. Sur- I didn't see any surge commercials or like. You yeah, know. It's a travesty for surge commercials. Let me tell you. <laughs> no Tony, no Tommy Hawk stuff. Um, just lots of <laughs> denim, lots of denim everywhere. So enough denim, that is for sure. <laughs> so what did you think of the finger poke of doom? It was it was certainly an idea that somebody had and didn't think through very well. So we saw a lot of things in that match. So Adam actually started me a little bit prior to the finger poke of doom and started us setting up the context for why Goldberg was involved in this with this very just ridiculously acted scene in this nondescript room with who who's the woman that was miss elizabeth so miss elizabeth yeah you had already mentioned that so miss elizabeth explaining the situation these actor cops kind of questioning her about pepsi and coke machines and shit like that and at times, it reminded me of certain interactions from one of my favorite movies, Tommy Wiseau's The Room, where it's like just people talking. It's like it almost kind of gave me the vibe of like, so here's the situation we want to convey. We don't know what to tell you to say, but like here's a few lines that might work. Just make shit up. And then we're oh, and we're going to go live in like 35 seconds, so it better be good. And that's what it felt like. Um, so they set up the context of this and then they handcuff Goldberg and, you know, it is what it is. Then we cut to the Georgia dome. There's laser pointers abound. Michael buffer who makes everything about the WCW better, right? Because he's Michael buffer getting laser pointers flashed on his head and, like, this is probably the epitome of, like, late 90s, like, kitschy shit is laser pointers. Like, I remember as a child, you couldn't go into, like, an arcade or something like that and, like, not win a laser pointer. Right. Somehow my my conservative Catholic parents got me to avoid them as, like, a 10-year-old. <laughs> but, uh, you know, laser pointers everywhere. Michael Buffer's setting up this match. Kevin Nash has leather pants. And no one else does. They all have, you know, Hogan is there to wear his, like, I, well, I don't know what the fuck he decided he was wearing. He's wearing, like, 
He's wearing like business on the bottom and like Under Armour before it was Under Armour on the top. Like that shit was like spandex on top, but then he's got his like dress pants and his his loafers on. And then Scott Hall shows up with his jeans and um, Lex Luger shows up with his jeans. Apparently that's like an NWO thing. So right. That's as far as I actually took notes because the the actual match led us into, I mean, I guess you could call it a match. It led to the, this whole Michael Buffer setup led to the finger poke of doom. Correct. And what I witnessed was Hulk Hogan poking Kevin Nash, Kevin Nash, Doing like the in 2022 terms, the NBA flop, <laughs> and then it's just over. And they hand Hulk Hogan a belt, and no one seems thrilled about it. And then Goldberg shows up and just starts beating the shit out of everybody, right? And maybe I missed a little bit of Shivani and Eric Bischoff explaining shit, but my understanding is that Shivani at this point it was Tony Shivani, correct? Correct. He explains that Mick Foley is over on the competitor winning the title. Right. And we then also, just for context for me, watched Mick Foley winning the title. He's he's whooping up on the rock. Um and a couple of wrestlers are involved, uh Stone Cold and a couple others. And what it, we talked about this before we went into it, but it seems like WCW just seemed to be completely detached from the fact that that might actually matter to fans of of both promotions, which is pretty much anybody who watches wrestling. So I need to understand now. Explain to me what exactly the motivation is for this whole thing, because. It does, like getting the context of Goldberg. I get that part of it, sort of, but I mean, we're even, we're going to talk about that too. But right. why? Why? Like, as far as the the why is Kevin Nash handing over this situation? Is this supposed? My interpretation of it is at this point, you said NWO is split, right? So yeah. So let me try to give you a little bit more of like kind of a background, right? So. The idea for the NWO was eventually to become its own brand. So the NWO mm-hmm. was going to take over Nitro, and WCW was going to take over Thunder, which was the show that was on TBS on Thursday nights. Yep. And that was going to create this interpromotional war. And that, sure. you know, that's why there were so many people in the stable. Mm-hmm. That it didn't end up working that way because that's just not the way. Basically, there was an acquisition by from or for, of Turner with AOL Time Warner. Oh, I know all about all that. that stuff. You know, again, you can go read Guy, De- Guy Evans' book, uh, Nitro, is is the definitive account of what happened to WCW and the NWO storyline. But if you um, want a definitive account of corporate America, read all about AOL Time Warner, one of the worst acquisitions that could have ever happened ever in anything. Oh, big time. Yeah, I mean, Eric, <laughs> Eric talks about it frequently. A lot of the guys that were working in WCW and in Turner Broadcasting at the time, they were like, we knew that this was the beginning of the I end mean, because... They did not want, most people in Turner didn't want WCW on the air. And they had to right. fight to become profitable. And then once they did, the people came in, AOL Time Warner was like, well, fuck this. We don't want this shit on our television. And then <laughs> that's how it, that's how basically it went down. But 
yes, this was supposed to be basically like the reunification of the NWO. That's and that's what I was going to say is my interpretation right. was this was meant to be a reunification story. But so I guess what I cut what it comes down to for me is why did they try to simplify it so far? Like I get that like NWOs suppose like my from what I've seen of like the shitty stuff so far, NWO is supposed to be this sort of thumbing your nose at the the status quo of wrestling promotions. And sort of turning them on end. But at what point do you fail to recognize that, like, the reason that people are fans of you is for the product you produce? And what you're doing is completely devoid of the reason that people are fans of you in the first place. They want to see the show. They want to see the you know, the athleticism that it takes to put on these kinds of situations. And um, I forget what the term that you use is that sort of peel peaks behind the curtain a little bit inside baseball. Um, Yeah. So it kind of, it doesn't necessarily do that inherently. Well, I shouldn't say inherently. It doesn't do that explicitly. Right. But inherently, it's kind of doing that. It's like, you know, we're just going to poke one another and hand over the title because ultimately we didn't take the time to actually develop how this could coalesce. And what it results in is it's, it's a different brand of bad wrestling. It's not bad because of the execution or because of the, you know, not selling it, not being, you know, blown out, whatever you whatever you want to call the different versions of what I've seen as bad wrestling. This is bad wrestling because I think it's bad taste when it comes to, you know, respecting what ultimately drives the fact that you get to do this at all, and that is your fan base. It's a complete, it's not even a slap in the face to your fan base. It's a straight up kick in the nuts to your fan base because it's like, this is the thing that we're all taking our Monday. We're all, you know, we're sitting around a TV. We got 40,000 people in this stadium. We're here to see you put on one hell of a show. And you just decided that none of that is important enough for you to just have kind of a, uh, a funny storyline. And there's probably some writer or some producer who thought they had a great idea. And as soon as it got executed, they said to themselves, holy shit, we fucked this up. Like that. I have to imagine that that's the case. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it was a very revealing moment for WCW. And it's certainly, I could see 100%. Uh, not knowing a ton of the context for WWF at this point, but like it certainly puts the momentum in their favor. And it certainly gives them that not necessarily like authenticity aside, it gives them that, that integrity as far as staying true to the product, whether it's live, whether it's pre-recorded 
And it's funny because it did all sort of culminate in WCW going back to that trope of we're going to tell you the pre-recorded story. And if anyone has learned anything about entertainment is that it all comes back to story no matter what. And lo and behold, WCW had a shitty story. WWF had a great story. And that's where we are. That was uh, that was probably the best analysis of this I've heard uh, at, ever. I mean, I and and everything <laughs> honestly, everything you said is correct. Like I feel like because I I mean I have the hindsight or the benefit rather of of watching this twenty three years later because I remember watching both of these live. Like I, I mentioned before, we had two televisions in the house. One was on Raw and one was on Nitro, and we would run back and forth depending on what the storyline was. And there was many nights that we would watch Nitro because the NWO was a good storyline. And the, what they were doing on WWF and WWE, or WWE now wasn't really working because it was the genesis of Stone Cold and The Rock hadn't really gotten into his lane yet. And there was a lot of really like goofy things that they were doing on the program. And then once they got more adult, that's when we were like, okay, well, now we're going to transition back and forth. But if you're watching that as a fan and you're like, wow, the NWO is really fucking cool and this is like something different and something unique. But as in all things, too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing. And this is a really bad thing because watching it back is like, oh, my God, what were they thinking? You know, and again, it's, it's, just, it's easy to poke holes at it, but it's just like it is. It, it's insulting to the fan base after a certain point when you're like, you, you have this incredible storyline. You have this incredible narrative and you just take this route and you're like, we're back at this again. You know, now the NWO is raining, running rampant on the promotion again and you know now Hogan and Holland it's like there's no creativity right well and it feels like they're going back to the well right like because this was early on like this same cast of characters just from getting a little bit educated about what was going on this is the same cast of characters, what, four years ago at this point yeah, in so the context of WCW or so? The NWO formed in like 96, so we're looking at probably three, even three years now. Yeah, so like... Yeah, it, 96 it formed, yeah. So not now, analyzing it even a little bit further from the strictly sports mindset, people get tired of the champion and like if this has already gone over once it's sort of that like i rooted for the new england patriots and tom brady in 2001 right but but by even by 2005 but truly by you know 2017 now my eagles were winning the super bowl by that point but I wasn't rooting for the Patriots after they had won it a bunch and we're familiar with them and we know what to expect. Even from that mindset, it's like, why would you want to bring all these guys you already scooped up from the other promotion and put into this situation and now rehash what you've already done once before, like thumb your nose up at the promotion and do our own thing and now they're even further washed up to the point that they tried to play this like Hogan was retired. Right, right. And I, I, you, you were explaining to me a little bit the ups and downs of Scott Hall, and he hadn't really been around either. Now you're, you're sort of just 
rolling out these same old dudes again to just insult everybody as far as yeah. what they're they're there to enjoy. It's it's funny because I think if we watched this earlier on in this process, I wouldn't have understood quite as much context, but knowing what they did and knowing the story around it gives me a much more visceral opinion of it. Yes, I can tell you there's a there's a there's a heavier level for you because now you're coming into this because you've watched actual shitty wrestling. But now you're watching like shitty storylines which you've got, you sort of started to get invested in and then you watch this and you're like what the fuck did I just watch? What was and, this? And while we're speaking of what the fuck did I just watch? We haven't even touched on it. How does the Goldberg part of this factor in? Cuz I'm still stuck on the finger poke. Right. But then Goldberg shows up, starts beating the shit out of everybody, but then he eventually gets handcuffed to the, the ropes, and then Scott Hall's got his taser or whatever, and then Hogan, like, spray paints him and shit, and they rip his shirt off and all that. But, like, uh, the announcers are clearly trying to sell this as, like, Goldberg is a criminal, and I know that to be otherwise from more modern takes on <laughs> right. both the character and the human. But um, help me understand the context of that a little bit better. So basically in wrestling, anytime there's there's someone who loses a title, typically they have an automatic rematch. So the champ, the former champion, typically gets an automatic rematch. And that's what happened here. So it was the same sort of metric, the same function. You know, Goldberg loses the title. To Nash. To Nash. Nash says Goldberg gets a rematch. The Goldberg angle with this aggravated stalking was to keep Goldberg away from the title picture, to keep him out. So they basically used Miss Elizabeth as a patsy to say, yeah, he aggravated, aggravatingly uh, stalked me, gets him arrested. Mm-hmm. Now he can't be there. Hogan steps in. They're acting as if this is going to be some huge match. And it's all, it's all you know... A setup for their shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all, it's just, it's a big setup. So they're like, oh, they're screwing Goldberg out of the title again by setting it up and now giving it back to Hogan. But uh, so I guess we observe too the crowd is behind Goldberg. Big time. Did I interpret that correctly? Yes. So they're chanting Goldberg at the beginning of the match. Like they're the whole stadium. They're not buying that story to begin with. Right. So. You know, was this like anticipated to be the transition into the splitting of the promotions into the two the two shows, and it just fell on its face? I don't have a lot of context as to when that no, actually so fell that apart. Was actually, so that was actually that was actually happened supposed to happen before this. This was okay. them basically scrambling and being like, okay, well, what are we going to do? And I, I use scrambling loosely because that's the only word that comes to mind, but. This is them trying to figure out what they're going to do with this massive roster of people inside the NWO and make it function in a way that's going to be meaningful in any way, shape, or form. Because mm-hmm. Turner didn't want them to do that. You know, they didn't want to have it set up the way that, that Eric had it. The new creative team came in, and they're like, oh, this is how we want you to do it. This is how you're supposed to do it. And Eric's like, no, the fuck it isn't, because everything has been working. 
and now you're coming in to fuck everything up. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of moving parts behind the scenes, and it feels like WCW is doing a lot to just keep people interested, but they're going so far and leaning so hard into the NWO storyline. It's not only causing people to be like, well, this is fucking boring, but it's also stifling and squeezing out people who could be getting to the top of the ranks, right? Because Hogan yeah. and Nash, they have the, the the title bogarted between the two of them. No one's getting a title shot. The only people that are getting title shots are, are involved with the NWO. And then typically from what it looked like, the NWO was going over a significant portion of the time. Sure. Okay. So it sounds like I need to continue my watching of Monday Night Wars, which I admittedly have fallen off of as of recent, but this gives me sort of that kick that I need to keep watching that to hear more of that story. Cause I know the beginning of the story about through the establishment of NWO and it sounds like I need to continue watching to get a little bit more context as to just how far some of that stuff goes. Right. And, it, and again, it runs really, really deep because you have to like, it's got it. There's a, there's a progression of things. And and the other part of it, too, is what did you think about the Mankind Rock pop? And it was interesting to see because I am somewhat familiar with that stuff, too, um, knowing the whole sock gimmick that was well over at that point. It's interesting because, you know, Mick Foley, uh, Mankind, gets sort of positioned as this, like, underdog in that promotion. Um, I don't know a lot about The Rock in that situation, but I did watch, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin come out and put a chair to The Rock's head, and then that was over. And you, you explained to me how, at that point, um, Monday Night Raw was split up into sort of two factions, the the new guys and the, the corpos or however right. you explain yeah, it. Yeah, Vince McMahon had the um, corporation and then there was the ministry and then there's degeneration. And there's a lot of like moving parts that are going on in this. Yeah. But I wanna But so go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. it was interesting to see because, you know, if you did flip over to the other channel and watch that, you saw a crowd that went absolutely nuts for what was going on in the arena. Whereas on the TNT broadcast you saw Eggs getting thrown at Lex Luger and others. It wasn't Lex Luger. It was uh, Scott Steiner. It was Scott Steiner that got hit. Had, had very visibly had egg broken across his back and a crowd that had no reaction. But like you heard on the WWF broadcast, just that pop, that shatter sound that you know is Stone Cold Steve Austin, if you know what to listen for. And it's one of those moments where, like, if you were in the crowd, you'd probably never forget that. Yeah. Like, the whole crowd is into this, and, like, everyone's on their feet. They're going nuts. They clearly put on a performance that night that is memorable to a lot of people and clearly a moment that gets cemented at least in that moment. I don't know that it's necessarily like a landmark moment for well, it, WWE or anything. It kind but. of is because it's one of those moments, Not you know, during the Monday Night Wars, it's one of the ones that's talked about a significant portion of the time. Mankind mm -hmm. holds two of those records. The one, 91's the title, 
and the night he gets thrown off of the cage in Pittsburgh by the Undertaker. But mm-hmm. um, you know, to go back to what you were saying though about uh, just a, a quick you know jut back to what you were talking about with WCW, you had mentioned that like it almost feels like at some point I don't know if you mentioned it before or while we were watching it that it just made people feel stupid. It made the crowd like well. It's insulting as a fan. Right. Yeah. And remember, too, I think I had mentioned this during the recording or maybe during the watch along. The NWO Wolfpack and the NWO Hollywood was a huge storyline. It was a huge split between the group. It was like, like I said, it was a blood feud between them. And there was a huge build to eventually the Nash train and the Hogan train meeting. And it was going to be this huge match and it was supposed to be this incredible thing and Hogan retires before it happens and now it's actually going to happen on the episode and here we go the bell rings boom finger poke doom one two three and it's like well wait a second what about all this shit that just happened now we're throwing it away and re reinventing the wheel it just doesn't it just doesn't line up and people again like you know WCW and we've talked about this before WCW's end was written in the stars long before the finger poke doom and no matter what they would have done, whether or not they would have gone through the match or done the finger poke of doom, it wouldn't have made any difference for them in the long term. But I definitely think there was a heavy level of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A heavy level of ignorance. Ignorance. Yeah, maybe it's the right word or just like, you know, being full of themselves when they were booking this. Like, oh, everybody's going to take this and they're going to stick around and they're going to like this. But the, the tide, yeah. I mean, the creative tide certainly shifted and it ended up in the point where and this is not Eric Bischoff's fault this is Vince Russo but they put the fucking title on David Arquette the actor they put the WCW oh, title really? on David Arquette which is another one we'll watch eventually on Swaburp but oh I was gonna say I know I know less about that than oh, anything man. but wait wait WCW know, 2000 I, is fucking crazy shit obviously I know who David Arquette is but like yeah yeah that's a little bit much yeah, it was uh, it was a lot, but again, that's that's where the creative ended up going, and then eventually, like I said, this you know this wasn't the turning point, but I think it made a lot of people feel like they were worthless in in a certain context. So, um, yeah, what uh, so any final thoughts on the finger poke of doom? Well, if we're gonna bring up the KRSTM, KRSTM. We have a relatively uh, a relatively hot take. I think I'm putting this. And remember the the lower the number, the worse the match. This is going at number two. Whoa! Wow! I'm putting this on the scale just below Kennel from Hell, and just above the Doomsday Cage. Wow. Mostly for the, and I think it's because, you know, I obviously I don't necessarily consider myself like a fan, but as I watch more of this and appreciate it for what it is, as I always have, as a fan, I feel like this is more upsetting than just a shitty match that's either poorly broadcast, which Doomsday Cage I think was poor in execution, but ultimately comes down to, it was just hard to watch. This is easy to watch. It's well filmed and it's short, but like as a fan, it's insulting. It's like, we don't actually care what, like what happens in it. Like 
if it really comes down to the the spectacle of the of the sport of the promotion, this is devoid of all of that. Yeah. And Kennel from Hell was as well, but for different reasons. So this one's high up there on my list. It just it rubs me the wrong way. I you know it's almost like angry. It's not actually angry, but like watching this, it's just like it's clear that. The parties involved, at least from the production side, I couldn't say that I put it on some other ones I put on the wrestlers. This I don't necessarily put on Kevin Nash or on Hogan or on the NWO. It's I, I'm assuming they didn't come up with this all on their own. Oh, well, um, oh, but you would be wrong. Oh, the, the, no kidding. The prevailing narrative, and again, a lot. There's a lot of denials. There's a lot of folks, but um, you know, Goldberg, Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan have all had other stories and other things that they've said about this particular event. Um, There is controversy as to whether or not Hogan had creative control in his contract, which basically means he had the final say in everything that he did. So anything like this would have had to been pushed to him to approve. So at the very least, then that might make it worse, but right. Nevertheless, until I, I, it's going to be hard to to top Candle from Hell as far as what I consider to be the worst. But Finger Poke of Doom is a surprise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it a, a surprise upset because I wasn't expecting to be this turned off by this match. But there it is. I, I, I think what... It's funny, though, because it's like there are different qualifiers for what I'm considering bad wrestling. Like, Hogan Warrior 2, I just think, was a shitty match. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was there's just no terrible. way around it. Goldberg and Undertaker was unsafe. Zombie Lumberjacks. Was, like, they all have differing reasons, but I feel like Kennel from Hell checks a lot of boxes. Finger Poke of Doom checks one of the most important boxes, and that is, does it have any respect for the people that are watching it? And I would say absolutely not. I agree. I agree. I think uh, I I guess I wasn't surprised that the match would rank as low as it did. But I am surprised that it wasn't number one, that it wasn't the lowest on there. It is hard to top Kennel from Hell, though. Kennel from Hell still sticks out to me just because of all of the factors that play into truly why that was as bad as it was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, getting quote unquote civilians involved as the keepers of these dogs, having dogs involved, the sanitary issues that they had during the match, the seeming lack of any comprehension as to what is supposed to happen. That one stacked up a few layers. And I think that's why it still stands out more to me than this one. The reason, but this one so strongly ignores the fact that it's supposed to be a wrestling match, puts it right up there with it. But I think it sits just below because at the end of the day, it's still kind of a run of the mill. What you would expect to see from a wrestling promotion. Kennel from hell was devoid of that still. So it it still stands out as who the hell knows why this ever happened. Well, Sam, and speaking of our next Swaburp and why the hell did any of this happen, our next match is actually <laughs> going to be the David Arquette WCW World Heavyweight Championship win, which happened on April 25th, 2000, 
on an episode of WCW Thunder. It takes oh, place. Brother. <laughs> he competes with Diamond Dallas Page against Jeff Jarrett and Eric Bischoff. And the stipulation is, is that the person who pins anyone in the match gets the title. And David Arquette goes over for the win. I remember watching this and just being like, fuck this. I'm turning the television off. And I'm never, <laughs> I don't think I watched WCW again after that. I don't actually hate on David Arquette, but I'm really curious how this one plays out. Cause like when I think of David Arquette, I think of like stupid movies. Yeah. Like Dewey, right? That's that his name from the fucking screen movies. Dewey. Yeah. Yeah. Dewey Riley. That's right. Uh, yeah. Scream. And uh, I forget what the other, I can't even think of the other movie that I'm thinking of right now. Cause he's in so many movies, well, but like eight, none. You got eight legged uh, freaks. <laughs> Yeah, three thousand miles uh, to Graceland, and you also have Ready to Rumble, which is the WCW film that they made, which caused him to be in the WCW promotion. But so we are at the KRSTM scale. Finger Poke of Doom ranks second lowest, just behind Kennel from Hell. Sam, it is always a pleasure to watch bad wrestling with you. As always, thank you for your time, sir. Of course, thank you for keeping me uh, well-versed in all the bad wrestling. For the executive voice, Sam Kreps, I am Adam Bernard. We will see you again in a few weeks for another grand episode of Sam Watches Bad Wrestling Poorly. Peace. See ya. Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and executive produced by Adam Barnard. The show is also produced by Sam Kreps. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Our intro and outro music is produced by Dumb Ugly. Find this episode and our full archive at foundationradio.net. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. This has been a Foundation Radio production. Butts Carlton, proprietor. Butts Carlton, proprietor.